Blog Talk Radio. Playing Sports City Chefs from Amazon Music. Yeah.
the Philadelphia Phillies are 18 and 22. They just got Bryce Harper back after being out for five games, so we'll see hopefully if he has a turnaround in him. The Marlins are 17 and 22, and the Nationals bring up the rear at 13 and 28. In the Central, the Brewers are 26 and 14. Uh, the Brewers are 26 and 14. They've been playing some hot baseball as of late. The Cardinals are right behind them, even though they're four games back with 22 and 18. The Pirates are 16 and 23 at this point in time. The Cubs are 15 and 24. I feel like they should be better, but things occur. And the Reds are 11 and 28, uh, having a bad start to the season uh, out of all of the major league. Uh, in the NL West, you have the Dodgers, who are 27 and 12. The Padres are 26 and 14, right behind them. The Giants are 22 and 17. They make this division so interesting. The Diamondbacks are 21 and 21. And the Rockies are 19 and 20. The Rockies are the only team that are below 500. Everybody 500 are better in this division. And the Padres are doing this work without Tatis, too. So this makes it even more interesting, too. But the Dodgers still sit atop of the division. In the American League, I kind of want to do it in reverse. In the West, the Astros are 26 and 15, playing some phenomenal ball at this point in time. The Angels are right behind them with 25 and 17. The Rangers are 18 and 21. The Mariners are 17 and 24, and the A's are 17 and 25. Uh, in the AL Central, the Minnesota Twins are 24 and 16. The White Sox are 19 and 20. The Guardians are 17 and 19. The Royals are 14 and 25, and the Tigers are 13 and 26. It, unfortunately, I gotta say this: this intro, it just, it's so difficult for me to look at this and say the Cleveland Guardians, but I respect why. But it's been my lifetime of me saying another word. I don't know if I can say it, but I'm going to leave it alone. And the best for last, like I said, the New York Yankees are 29 and 10. The uh, the Tampa Bay Rays are 24 and 16. The Blue Jays are 22 and 18. The Red Sox are 18 and 22, slowly turning this thing around. And the Orioles are 16 and 25. People, I know you guys know me for the years that I've been doing this. And, and if you know me personally, you know that. I am not a big Yankee fan, but these guys are playing excellent right now. And uh, it's not really their pitching, but the pitching's doing just enough to, like, hold people at bay. It's not like people are battering them around, but you got to outscore the Yankees. And this is like the same Yankees uh, when they were just stirring up all types of trouble in the decade of the 90s where you it was hard to beat them because they had murderous row. And um, they're doing enough to damage people. They're 14-6 and six on the road, and they're 15-4 and four in the Bronx. So, it's tough to try to catch up with them, but um, at least the Rays are making it interesting. They're five and a half back while these guys are extremely hot. And um, the Blue Jays are within range also being seven and a half back with a 22 and 18 record. Uh, Mike, is there any division that you'd like to talk about or teams that I may have just, you know, glossed over with their record that you'd like to dive into? Uh, so, yeah, I mean, just real quick, uh, Scherzer being out six to eight weeks hurts the Mets, so it's nice that they've gotten off to a good start. Uh, Acuna getting back for the Braves is helping them start to find a little bit of rhythm. Uh, you know, Cincinnati's won seven out of their last ten, uh, which is funny, but even with that 11 wins, because it just tells you how bad that two and 19 stretch was. Dodgers, Padres, I mean, even the Diamondbacks have gotten really good pitching. Been off to a surprising start. I think the Blue Jays are about to heat up some offensively. We'll see. I also think the White Sox have been playing much better ball. And like you said, Houston uh, 
Houston playing well. The Angels have kind of hit a little bit of uh, a tough stretch over the last week, so we'll see how they kind of uh, how they kind of bounce back from that. But I mean, you, man, the Yankees off to like you said, an extremely fast start. Dodgers not far behind them at all uh, right now. Still, the uh, the city of New York and LA are both getting some very high quality baseball, even from both of their teams. And it's stunning to see how the Mets got off to that start and uh, are starting to come back to earth because they were on some, I, you know, I, I don't even want to call them like anything better than what they are in a human form, but they were incredible at the start of the season. And, and, and it's still a respectable record. I can't even overlook the way that they've come out the gate uh, being 27 to 15. And we're nearing the month of June where historically in the past couple of years, the Mets do have an interesting start. Somewhere in April, something crazy happens, and then, you know, the Mets fall in the midst of the fray, and then they can't get back up. Now they're at the top, and it's like they're serious, and they're winning games late in the games. Like, if, even if you uh, have a couple run lead on them, they'll get back into the game and make it a game. They'll win games in the ninth inning. Like, they'll put up a monster amount of runs in the ninth, too. So this is something that the Mets can't be glossed over. And, uh, you know, looking at the other side of New York with the, the Yankees doing this, uh, another situation is is uh, we all looked at the situation where they're not trying to, like, entertain the contract discussion with Aaron Judge, and he's playing baseball like he's going to end up getting a good check. Regardless if people like it or if the Yankees don't want to give him a big amount of money, it's going to end up happening at the end of the day. And that, that's something I don't like watching is, you know, contract discussion. I just like to see the actual natural playing ability of the players. But this is something that he is. 30 years old, I wonder how big of a contract that they throw to him. Is it going to be a 10, 12, 15 that they throw to try to make it fit within the numbers? So this is something that I'm looking at. And if they could keep this team together, they did actually have an interesting situation happen uh, within their series with the White Sox. There was a dispute or fight or, you know, not even like really a fight, but they really just, benches cleared between the White Sox and the Yankees and is more or less stirred up by um you know Donaldson being you know Josh Donaldson being the one that kind of revs a lot of people's engines uh he had a situation happen with uh Tim Anderson and now with the catcher and uh the be- the benches cleared the situation they have with Anderson Anderson tried to get back for the tag uh got to him he gets his hands on the base and when he's on the base uh, Donaldson pushes him off, like to get him off the base, and um, Anderson wasn't having it. And it, and it kind of goes hand in hand with them actually talking junk about each other back and forth. Uh, it was all stirred up by Josh calling him Jackie and referring to him as Jackie Robinson. Uh, they kind of looked at it as like a racial monotone thing, like that. And um, he said that it was from when. Anderson called himself the new Jackie Robinson or Jackie Robinson 2.0. So he said it had no means of being racial. And then it's kind of like, I think this is something that he stirred up within the, uh, his own club. And I, I think the White Sox aren't having that with Donaldson. Now, mind you, this is the situation with Josh as of a year ago where him and Ozzie Guillen went at it. And Ozzie Guillen was like, every team you go to, you stir up trouble and you haven't been successful. But this year, the Yankees are playing phenomenal with him getting there, so it's interesting how this is happening uh, while Josh Donaldson's there, and then they had a situation happen just yesterday also. So this is two back-to-back 
ordeal with him being in the midst of the storm uh, while the Yankees are still playing electric, and they were able to win that game also. Uh, your thoughts on that, the situation with uh, Josh Donaldson and Tim Anderson? Yeah, I mean, I read the same thing about it being in a response to him to him calling himself that. I mean, he knows what he meant. It matters, you know, how it was taken and the context behind it. I mean, if you don't have that kind of uh, if, if you don't have that kind of dynamic with with that player or whatever, then I think, you know, you need to be careful with, with how you joke and, and say things. But, I mean, Josh Donaldson has been a very, very outspoken player and has said things that have come under uh, controversy before. This isn't the, the, the first time that his, that his name's been been in the midst of something controversial. So, uh, you know, I hope the guy didn't mean anything by it. I don't I don't know though for sure what he meant and like it's not my place to say that uh Anderson shouldn't be bothered by it. If he if he took it as a slight he definitely should have uh should have stood up for himself and he did. Uh you know, respect to Yasmani Grandal, the catcher coming to uh to his teammates defense and I mean listen um I'm glad cooler heads prevailed and they were able to go on and finish the day. But I mean, I I don't know. It, it's a uh, unfortunately, it's it's a it's something that that exists and people say hurtful and do hurtful things uh, in this world and 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 it's. It, it's naive to think that it's not still out there in in twenty twenty two. It's a sad thing to me to me that it is. Um and so uh I don't blame Tim Anderson for his uh for standing up and pushing back and saying, you know, well you know you know, what the whatever what are you talking about or or making sure that he uh that he make, makes his uh feelings and, and reactions known. So um I just I don't know what else to say about it. Um, it's, it's a bad situation in time in the country where there's a lot of, you know, tension and the temperature is high and, and, you know, a lot of people aren't trying to have it anymore. And um, Donaldson always being in the midst of these circles where it's, it's, it's something that he may do or say that gets people, you know, agitated like me being a twin fan right i still remember this happened last year i think if i'm not mistaken um it was a call that he didn't like and wild part about this it was against the chicago white Sox, and we're in chicago uh the ump called a high strike and it was high and it was out of the zone but he called strike the next pitch donaldson knocks it out the park home run first base, second base, third base. As soon as he coming down the, the, the line from third base to get to home, he, as soon as he gets to the plate, he stops, gets gathers a gang of dirt from his right foot and throws it all over the plate and then steps on home plate. The show the ump up, and ump threw him right out of the game, right out of the game. It's like that type of stuff is like what Josh Donaldson will do. And knowing that we need you in this game because that's our division rival being a White Sox 
why would you do something that draws so much attention to yourself? Like, that's a selfish situation. So just like what's happening with the Yankees, and I won't say, like, he's being selfish in New York because I, I know the Yankees don't play that. It's different. But with him doing that, pushing him off the base to, you know, apply the tag and then have that go on and then whisper Jackie to him, why, why would you entertain the Jackie talk to him? Like, you know you're trying to set something up. Like, whether you said that he said He's Jackie Robinson or not? Why would you call him outside of his name, knowing that you are one of the public enemy number one individuals that stir up drama uh, within the within the entire uh, MLB? You are one of those poster boys. So now, now hopefully they they get out of this series, they get away from each other. That's fine. But how long does this last around Josh Donaldson um, with the mo of him being a bad guy? You know, for the rest of his career. Well, he's, he's really uh, there's older. Been, there's, yeah, because he's pretty—he's older now. There's been enough things over the course of his career that he's always going to—I uh, uh, mean, you know—some people in the clubhouse will say he's a good clubhouse guy on that particular team, but he'll always kind of have a, a villainous type label attached to him for as long as he remains in the game of baseball. Now. So we'll—I'll get away from the Josh Donaldson situation because this is like a a heavy conversation and um <laughs> especially with everything that went on in this country I don't I don't want to like get hung up with trying to compare him to that cuz I don't I hope he's not in that same realm you know but right it just it, it just it's just puzzling that this is something that people you know build off of on a day by day basis or you know it's something that's underneath their surface at the end of the day and you can't really change who they are um it's sad. It's sad. Okay, so that's really the meat and potatoes of MLB. There were a couple of fights that went on. Um, Holly Holm lost her fight in the UFC on a split decision. Um, in boxing, uh, Lemieux and Benavidez had a fight, and Benavidez stopped him uh, in the third. Now, this is interesting because Lemieux is a good fighter, and uh, Lemieux actually had a fight against Triple G, Triple G ended up stopping him by knockout, if I'm not mistaken. But Triple G was on a warpath knocking everybody out. And uh, now you get a situation where Benavidez is looking for the big names, and he, nobody's really trying to get after him, whether it's Caleb Plant. Caleb Plant's ducking him. Canelo Alvarez is ducking him. I, I think the only one that's really entertaining to fight him are the Charlo, uh, one of the Charlo brothers. And it's like, why is it we have the situation where you know, Caleb Plan or Canelo get to kind of cherry-pick this situation, and now that they both lost, they're going to have to fight these names, whether they like it or not. If these fights are dangerous for them, this is what the sport is, being a sweet science. So uh, Benavidez wins this fight. Um, he's going to be able to start putting these things together as, you know, he's going to be the – he is the top contender uh, until we start to, like, get these title fights together before they can start to unify them. But – um it's interesting that Lemieux has not had work in a while and uh, gets stopped, uh, even though Lemieux is somewhat dangerous, but uh, I think he's out of his class trying to fight these guys now as he's older uh, in that weight class as well. Um, Mike, did you hear anything about the fight world, whether the, the Holly Holmes situation or uh, the Benavidez versus uh, Lemieux fight as well? No, so I thought the Holly Holmes situation was actually a really good fight. Uh, 
you know, I think Holly landed some good shots. I think uh, I think some numbers even showed her head in shots in some places. Like you said, it was a split decision. Uh, probably could have gone, you know, obviously did go the other way on another scorecard. So I thought that it was a competitive fight. It's a fight that, you know, you, you could see again depending on uh, what these ladies do in future fights, and it wouldn't hurt my feelings to see them hook up again. So uh, I thought it was very competitive. As far as um, Benavidez, I mean, to your point, like, that's a dangerous fighter. Uh, it, it is still uh, kind of what I expected from Benavidez, but still an impressive uh, performance nonetheless. And, you know, I think just another step in his uh, – you know, on the ladder for him trying to trying to climb to the top of that that division. I think that he definitely is going to have you know some bigger fights to come, and we'll see. But he's you know he's a prospect that or a legitimate contender that you have to be excited about. Like he pushes the action. He's a big puncher, and he's uh yeah he's going to be a problem for anybody. That's for sure. I just want to. <laughs> As much as I want to see these guys get together, I'm like a prisoner of the moment. Is two fighters that I don't want to see fighting a different weight class with Errol Spencer Crawford because I kind of want them Crawford, to finish yeah. their career. I want them to finish undefeated, but I can't act like this while these guys are in the middleweight division and and this is like the war zone how it used to be with Hearns, uh, Sugar Ray, Roberto Duran, Hagler. These guys had to fight, you know, and um. This is the same situation. The middleweight has always had that mystique, you know, historically. But welterweight has kind of stolen the show uh, with all the names that they do have there. But now that the two names that everybody wants to see fight, these guys are annihilating the rest of the division, and it's only the, they have only each other to fight. Um, and the styles make fights at the end of the day. So hopefully uh, the Canelo situation in front of at least Benavides, because Benavides has been screaming for him for a while. Hopefully that does take place. Other than that, we we got the uh, welterweight division where they're going to have that collision. And um, I think I think Terrence Crawford has named his next two fights, so we'll see how that works out uh, by the years and if if it does go the way he's he's planning it out. Hey TP, real quick, uh, we didn't meet we, we didn't have a brunch last weekend. And Jamel Charlo, how about uh, uh, with his performance last week, unifying. Uh, well, unifying titles in what is it, 154, and being the first person to uh, to unify titles at uh, at that weight class, and always the ninth man all time to be a unified champ or unanimous champ at a particular weight class. Like that's a pretty big deal in the sport team right now. Definitely, and the way that he redeemed himself by winning by knockout also is something big too. And having a lot of the networks out there trying to pity him, uh, basically saying that he wasn't ready or showing that he wasn't proven at this point in time. And then when he won the fight, he was announcing that to that network. And um, it, it, it's kind of gratifying to him to, like, prove that he is, is one thing. So the Charlo brothers, they've been through a lot, and, and these guys have tried to keep their record as impeccable as possible. And the good thing is that he's got the belts now. So it's not too much they could tell him. He's going to be able to cherry pick his fights at this point in time too, because he's the guy uh, at that weight class. So I, I definitely tip my hat to them. I am a Charlo brother fan. I like both of them. 
um, for the damage that they've done. Even though Castano made an interest in the first fight, uh, this is why they had the rematch. But this one, he, he finally uh, figured him out and finished him, I think, in the 10th, if I'm not mistaken, which round it was. But uh, for him to get this done and, and prove that at this point in time that they're still dynamic and they're the guys to go after, now every, he's going to end up being a hunted. You know what I'm saying? As, as best as he is in that weight class, you can't get away from what he is right now. He's a champ, and they're going to want to take belts from him. So, And it's interesting, and that's how boxing is too. And um, <laughs> you get all the belts, like you're the prize. Like if you if somebody beats you, they, get, they take everything from you too. So uh, I want to see how this all works out. But definitely this is this is a great moment in time for him as uh, he's able to unify the division. The interesting thing about that is, and, you know, it, it sounds simple, right? Uh, but boxing finds a way to complicate it, right, GP? In that, like, you know, you unify the belt, so you like to think, okay, uh, in a lot of situations, then you should be able to then theoretically defend all the belts until the next person that wins ends up being, you know, Unified champ And that ends up happening sometimes once or twice But then these different bodies The WBO and WBC And all these different bodies Get into like these uh, Discussions or start Ended up saying okay we want you to fight This mandatory person or that person And then Another another organization Say well we want you to fight that person This is our mandatory challenger And sometimes when they can't Find that balance it ends up falling on the fighter in a negative way, and they end up saying, well, I guess I'm just going to have to like, let this one go. And, like This one's more prestigious, so I'm going to keep this and fight this person. And I mean, hell, if y'all can't take this as a reputable opponent, then y'all can have it. And that has happened a lot of times in the sport of boxing. Wait, repeat that. It broke up. That has happened in a lot of times in the sport of boxing, and that's why these titles are so hard to unify. And you've only had, you know, nine people do it, and it's not as easy to kind of, you know, sort of uh, keep them unified once you've uh, once you've gotten there. So uh, that that it'll be interesting to see how long all those titles stay together uh, now that they've been unified. Well, again, like I said, we'll see how this moves. And I wonder, you know, sometimes they say, well, this IBF or WBC belt is on the line. I wonder if they put everything on the line, things of that nature. So I'm not sure how that uh, will go down. Hopefully, if he does say, you know what, I put everything on the line every fight, this will just make it even more entertaining and bring that aura back to boxing. Like, And it's not like boxing needs that much, but um, still, yeah, at the end of the day, uh We'll see how that ends up happening within their weight class of where they are right now. And um, I think Errol Spence has uh, three three belts and Crawford has one. So they have to fight uh, to try to unify. So if Crawford wins, he gets three belts. If Spence wins, he gets the one last belt remaining in their division. So at least those are the two divisions that I could think of and also the type of Fury situation, but he's saying that he's retired. I don't think he's retired. Uh, I I don't want to say he's young. He is older, but he's not like in his 40s fighting. So but we'll see how that ends up going down. But at least this is the aura that we do have around boxing at this point in time. Okay, so we are going to move along. I think the, oh, 
The last thing that I'll say about Fury is I, I think depending on how that Joshua rematch goes and what ends up being the result from that, what the uh, what the purse would be or what kind of money he's offered to try to unify those titles, I think that's still a discussion that could still be had with Tyson Fury. Uh, he's entertaining the fight with uh, Ngao, the guy. He's in, he's a heavyweight fighter in UFC. And, and to me, that doesn't make sense because he's not a real boxer. I don't think he has anything to do with Tyson Fury. Tyson Fury is going to outclass him. To stay away from him, he's going to use his reach and his uh, height to just basically outpoint him. If, if <laughs> Francis gets tired, then he can end up knocking him out. But I'm, I'm not going to think a, a guy that has – Let's just say, how how could I be fair with a number? Like I think Ngal probably at the best has seven years of boxing experience or fighting experience. How we look at it, Tyson Fury is an Olympic style boxer. Like he's not not gonna lose to a Francis Ngal. So, I, I think that I, I think that uh, you know the best thing about it is is that that's gonna be a money draw. At the end of the day, like people are going to say, "Oh, Francis can knock him out one punch," and that's that's the the interesting thing with the novice fan. The novice fan will say or do something like that, but they won't. Like the real boxer fans will know, like that's that's not even nothing to like pay that hundred dollars for pay per view to go watch that fight. It's like it's not even worth it. So, but if if, if you want to go buy just because you want to see the fight, then knock yourself out. I, I don't think it, there's nothing to see. This is like a a cop cleaning up a murder scene. There's nothing to see. Everybody go. <laughs> What do you think is more competitive at the end of the day? Uh, What McGregor tried to do against Mayweather or what Ngannou would do against Fury? Wait, wait, what what Mayweather did to who? What McGregor, Conor McGregor trying to fight or Ngannou trying to fight Fury? Oh man, and and that's that's just again the same situation. You get the, the novice fans that think that Connor's the bigger guy, taller, and he weighs more, but he was able to cut his weight down to, like, meet Floyd, that he's going to knock Floyd out because he knocked Jose Aldo out in 13 seconds. So they're like, yeah, he's going to knock Floyd out. And it's like, okay. So him being a mixed martial artist, he's fought doing whatever, grappling, so on and so forth. But in, like, boxing, he's probably got enough. Let me just be fair with the number again, saying seven years of boxing experience. You're biting, you're fighting a dude that is boxed since he was three years old with his father and uncle, right. learning their style of fighting, Olympic style fighter, and Floyd. And the one thing I couldn't take because I'm a Floyd fan is watching Floyd take his punches early. But Floyd did that by design because everybody, even in the UFC, knows that Conor will gas out. He's gonna get tired. And right. once he got to like third or fourth rounds, he started getting tired, and then Floyd started fighting, and he, now he's starting to tattoo him. And then by the, the eighth and ninth round, this is when he just had Connor on his bike backpedaling and trying to get out of there. And by the tenth round, the referee stopped because he's taking too much damage and he's about to get knocked out. Even though Connor got mad, he's like, "You should have let me go out on my shield." And basically saying he wanted to get knocked out is like that ref could get in trouble if Floyd does damage you. But it, it did look bad. So that situation with Floyd and and Connor was different because the Floyd is the lighter like. <laughs> Even though it's punishing punches, um, he's lighter compared to a heavyweight and you know, Francis yeah, Ngano, yeah. I want to I don't know what he is. He's probably like two forty, two fifty and Tyson Fury does this by design. He'll gain weight. So he'll be like two sixty, two seventy 
and uh, be able to lean on people to wear them down. And by the time they're tired, all he got to do is just throw his shots and he's annihilating them. That's what he did to Deontay. He got Deontay out of there. And I don't even know why he keeps fighting Dylan White. Like Dylan, Dylan White and them, they're, they're not the fight that I, I see making it interesting for him. It's, these are like throwaway fights for Tyson Fury at this point in time. So I, I the, the, I think the McGregor Mayweather fight had a better shot at it, but I, I think with Francis being as huge as he is, he is in the realm of just landing a big hook and knocking Tyson out. But I think if Tyson just boxes him, he's going to get him out of there. Though. That, that's just me. I, I think it's a money grab for Ngannou. It feels like that when you look at what boxers are paid for prize fights and you look at what UFC fighters are paid, if there's the opportunity to do business and Ngannou can do it with Fury, I think that uh, he's going to just to feel like that uh, that he really cashed in. Uh, because, I mean, there's, there's been a lot of talk with Ngannou about what's next with his contract. I mean, he won his last fight. It wasn't overwhelming, but what's next with his contract? Is UFC going to meet his demands or what happens there? I mean, that's still kind of a, uh, a point of contention right now. So we'll see. Right. But we'll see. Uh, This is something that's been interesting in front of Dana White. Dana White has been getting a lot of pushback within that realm of all of the fighters that are in that network. Uh, Some are just happy to just be up there fighting. Some that are big names that aren't receiving the money give him the question marks. And the guys that are getting the title fights and so on and so forth, it's just a lot of question marks around Dana and the feedback that they are getting. Okay. Um, I do want to get into the meat and potatoes of things. We have the NBA Conference finals. I really wanted to say playoffs, but this is bigger than playoffs now. This is the Western Conference Finals and the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, yesterday day we had a game where the Miami Heat went into Boston and stole a game 109 to 103, uh, taking a 2 1 advantage going into game four, which will be played tomorrow. Um, your thoughts on this game and how to go forward? as the Heat did the best that they could without Jimmy Butler getting injured within the game and did not return. So I think that in a lot of ways, uh, Boston beat themselves. The Heat's defense had a lot to do with it, but uh, Boston just a ton of turnovers. You know, Jason Tatum, listen, you're supposed to show up at home and you're the star in a playoff game, you know, at the end of the game, I think he had twice as many, uh, he had double the turnovers as he had uh, made baskets in this game. Now, Jalen Brown had a good game. Uh, Boston found something. They got far, you know, really far down. Miami, you know, kind of let them back in the game or whatever, and it, it got real touch and go for a minute, like, at the very end. At the end of the day, though, this is what Miami needed. They, like, they needed to get one. Now the pressure's back on Boston. You got to win at home uh, to give yourself a chance, right? Like uh, at this point uh, to to square this series because now you're going to have to win one in Miami at some point. And this definitely changes uh, the complexion of this series. Boston looked really good. I felt like uh, in the second game in Miami, and they looked like that they were ready to take control of this series. You know, we said in the barbershop and other places, the series uh, – a series doesn't begin until a road team wins, and Boston, uh, you know, did that in game two. And now Miami says, you know, we got you, and, and you know, we'll call, we'll raise you, we'll, we'll we'll take our home win, we'll get our home court back. So 
my Miami got out and ran. They 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 hit shots. Um, they took advantage of turnovers. But I thought Boston was careless with the basketball yesterday. Um, but listen, Miami did what they had to do in the first game. Like uh, you got to think going away on this trip. Obviously, you'd love to get two, but the goal of this trip is to is to get one. Uh, to to gain your home court back, they got that the first time out. Now the, they got a chance to go for gravy and uh, and game four. This is the the crazy thing that I'm like upset with Boston. Um, Boston lost game one, which you would expect the Heat to come out and play their best at home when they were rested. Game two, Boston comes out and has a a heck of a game two outclassing them, beating them big in Miami. And then game three, what worked for them in game two was they actually had good paint play. They weren't trying to go in the paint and score. They were settling for shooting threes. Now, I get it. It's the era of, like, Steph Curry. And it's a different dynamic when you're in California compared to everybody else's arena across the country. So when people hit threes, they want the crowd to go crazy and scream and yell and yay, and then they're getting into the game. Take the shot if need be. And this is what the Celtics are falling in love with. Not even like, okay, this is the makeup of the play. Like, they'll have a wide open three with a lane in front of them. Like, drive the ball to the lane because they don't even have any interior defense. Like, a lot of people are hyped up about the Heat's defense. And Heat, they do play good defense. Don't get me wrong. Or don't over undersell or whatever I'm saying right now, right? They were able to get 60-plus points in the paint in game two, and then you don't want to attack the paint in game three at home where the refs should be on your side if they're fouling you and in which the refs were because the Heat only had, like, five free throws going into the fourth. So you're not even forcing an issue more than what the refs are giving you. Like, work with that. Like, I, I don't get what Udoka is doing. Like, like. This guy, and don't take it away from him. He's a good or great coach at what he's been doing in his first season right now. But there's no way I'm going to keep settling for Grant Williams and Brown and and Pritchard and Horford and Tatum all to be sitting at the three-point line shooting threes. This is the same situation that happened to the Philadelphia 76ers. All of them sitting at the three-point line, including Joel Embiid, where Joel Embiid is seven foot three is settling for shooting jump shots while nobody in the paint is as tall as him at all. At all. This is this is basketball one on one. This ain't even like me being analytical or being a fan. This there's no way that you're settling for shooting a lower percentage shot and thinking that that's gonna win the game while this team is proving that they are not sitting up here watching you try to beat them in the paint like that. They're gonna just watch you shoot the three and, and hope you miss so we can rebound the ball and go do what we gotta do on the other end. Like I'm I'm sorry. This is this is poor play by Boston, including Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum, uh, I hate to say this, for you to be the leader, because I think you're the leader to me, unless Jalen Brown is, because Jalen Brown had a 40 point night. You're the leader of the team, and you had 10 points in Boston, no foul trouble. Like I, this is that's unacceptable. Three shots. That's unacceptable. He shot more threes than regular field goal attempts, like like going to the paint or finishing with a layup or a mid-range jumper, whatever. He's shot more th- He's shooting threes like he's Clay or Steph. Like, I get it. You can hit the shot. It's a shot that you can hit, but this, this is – who's telling you to do that all game long? You're going to lose if you if you think that's the makeup for the Celtics to win the game, that you're going to just shoot threes, so on and so forth. You guys are losing series. 
just because you think you're the smartest guy in the room. And now the way that you guys are playing, nobody in the paint, Marcus Smart rolls his ankle because he's in there trying to rebound. He's your guard. He's your point guard. And you guys all at the perimeter. He rolls his ankle. Now what? You better hope he'd be able to walk because he did come back and play, but that his ankle should be sore today. He should be hurting real bad today. So this is, this is, this is bad. Jason Taylor, for you to be a leader, this is unacceptable. You, you owe them. And you've been doing this to them their whole playoff run long. Excuse me. He's been doing this his whole playoff run from start to where they are now. Um, having a game that cost them, and then they have to fight their way back uh, to get out of here. Well, I can't really say the Brooklyn series because they swept Brooklyn, so that that's something I give them. Like they took care of KD and them. But other than that, like the the series after with Milwaukee and coming into this, this this is unacceptable. Um, this is your time to shine. This is the reason why you worked out with Kobe Bryant and want to take these shots. Kobe didn't work with you on three point shots all day long, and that was that. Nothing else. Like this. no. I don't think that's what Kobe worked on that with you, but Kobe's not here to save you now. So you, you're going to have to figure this out and find an interesting game plan to try to be successful moving forward. I expect okay, to say to have a bounce back uh, game four. Uh, but to your point, you scored all those points in the paint. Why you didn't go back there at home, you're going to get the calls. If you could get Bam in foul trouble early, then you minimize the effect that he can have um, on that team, even on the other end of the court. And when you already know you don't have uh, – you're not going to have Robert Williams for a lot of that game, or as you see that's been the case, then, you know, you need to go after, you know, Miami's bigs on the offensive end to try to, uh, you know, you get them in foul trouble, you can minimize some of that effectiveness on the offensive on the other end of the court. And then that kills me also, too, with him. It's like he didn't leave that game in game two injured. Like, I'm trying to figure out how or what happened to Robert Williams. It's, it's something every game with the Celtics now. So, game one, nothing happened to Marcus Smart and uh, Al Horford. They're out game one. They lose game one. They come back. Derek White has a child. He's out, but everybody's back for the Celtics. They win big. And then game three comes around, they go to Boston, and Robert Williams is out, and nobody was injured. It's like, what, what's happening when they leave the arena? Like, are they slipping on a banana peel? Like, what, what, what's going on? Like, like I want to know what's happening. So, what, is he going to come back game four and be fresh? Like, I, I don't get this. this. This is a different day and age that these guys are taking these games off in the playoffs. Not, not even, like, load management in the regular season. This is all else. Like, everything is on the line. I this is baffling to me that this is what these guys are getting away with at this point in time. I don't know. It's a different era. Like, when we grew up watching these basketball players play, they would play whether what's happening. And Marcus Smart did it last night where he rolled his ankle. It was a severe roll. Like, his ankle basically touched the floor. He came back. Uh, Tatum, I, uh, I laugh at you, Tatum. Like, that's bad. He fell on the ground on his left shoulder, and he was reaching for his right shoulder like his shooting arm. Like his shooting arm was a problem. It, it was it was clearly not his shooting arm, and he had no problem with his left shoulder at all. And goes to the locker room for a minute, and comes back out, and then starts trying to play basketball, and was playing porous anyway. So, uh, I don't know, Tatum, you owe them a lot. You owe them a lot. I'm I'm saying that, and I that that's disgusting for Jalen Brown. And people were actually like questioning this for him to have a silent forty points. He put up forty. You guys lost by six. You're averaging, like, let's just say you're averaging 21 points. Let's say that. Let's just say that's the number. It may be higher. I'm not looking at the numbers right now, right? 
You mean to tell me you can't score 16 at home? 16 would have tied the game. 20, you guys would have won by two buckets. You you can't give them that at home because you're settling for shooting threes all game long. He was one for seven from three. Like that's that's horrible. Like like there's nobody on that sideline that could talk to you, and you're young. It's not like that. Udoka uh, can't talk to you. I I don't think that you're that big headed. You're not that guy. So I I don't know. The, the Celtics they have to fight their way out. I feel like the Heat threatened them for Game Four. This is a threat. Like, everybody's going to be like, oh, put the money on balls and they're going to even this up. I, I don't, it's not that easy. Vegas is going to watch a lot of people try to do that and clean house. Clean house. This is a threat to the Celtics. Celtics are a threat, and they better understand what they're in front of right now. And it, it, and it's a lot of youth there, too. They, they're not that young. I mean, Horford and Smart are the older ones, but the rest of them, they're young, basically. Fairly young. Okay, so we have a, a Western Conference final going on. And uh, this the same scenario happened, but Golden State has the guns to get back in the game and win it. So um, the Dallas Mavericks were up uh, 19 points in this game, and Golden State storms back and wins this game late. And I have to give credit to all of the Warriors except Draymond Green because Draymond was the one that – got into foul trouble and was actually trying to work the refs to, like, get calls to go his way. He got a technical foul. He was working the refs to, like, get his second technical. It's like, I don't know what he was trying to think that that was going to help them do or get the team involved or if this is a leadership role that I'll take the bullet and, and the rest of you just go to war. Like, they need you out there. Luckily, you guys survived the storm and ended up winning by an interesting amount. But um, they have their game three today, which takes place in Dallas. Uh Mike, your thoughts on the way that the Mavericks lost the lead and how the Warriors were able to come back and win that, and, and I'll, I'll dive into the game later. Don't go into game three yet. Just your thoughts on game two on the same scenario that happened with the Heat and the Celtics watching a big lead, a big lead just dwindle. Okay, so I'm talking about game two, not game three yet. Right. So I think that after game one, they look clearly superior in the first game. I thought Luca, especially, and Dallas came out, you know, played really hard. Like you said, played hard, jumped on top, got that lead. Luca off to a really, really fast start. And then, you know, some other guys knocking down shots for Dallas, which they're going <clears> to <throat> they're gonna need. So they were, I mean, obviously able to get off to a big lead and really uh, – Definitely compete in that game. Obviously, they led a lot of the way, but Golden State, man, uh, what a what a game for Kevon Looney. And then, I mean, other guys on that team, but, like, you know, to me, that's the guy I'll remember in this game with that 20-plus points and uh, having a huge impact on that comeback. And Golden State just uh, – Making sure, man. I mean, like I said, they they got punched in the mouth. They uh, knocked down, if you will, maybe even uh, a couple of times early on. But you know, they got up off the canvas and uh, they were able to prevent that home court advantage from slipping away and uh, do what they needed to do and be able to go up two zero before they have to uh, they have to go on the road. So good on them. I mean. Listen, they, for the most part, that team, uh, 
they did what they do, man. Like, uh, and there's a lot of good pieces. I'm I'm happy to see Otto Porter uh, playing pretty well too. So, but they uh, they did what Golden State does. They uh, they're playing at a at a very high level, and so you know we'll get into we'll get into the what's happening moving forward later. But that's my thoughts. Now, Hoya, I tell you, that's a dog. That's a dog. Um. This is and, and we could dive right into it because I want to get into it because we're closing up pretty soon. Um, this game three and I I hate to say this like this. Um, and I've I've been proven wrong before. Karma loves to beat me up and I I can't hide from her, so I got to tell the truth here. Um, I feel bad for the Dallas Mavericks because they did everything that they could right in that game two and they still lost that game. And I think uh, they'll come with the same tenacity. The, the one thing that works for the Dallas Mavericks is their shooting. They shoot the ball well. Uh, they're going to be at home, and I feel like they're going to, you know, the same gasoline to the fire situation. Every three that they hit is going to be like gas on the fire, gas on the fire. But Golden State shoots the ball too. So you don't want to get into a situation where you're going to go shot for shot with these guys, even though this can be the way to win. Uh, they they proved that they could play defense on them, but they didn't do it for a full four quarters. And this is the reason why I say this is a bad scenario. Luka can go crazy, right? Luka can get you anywhere from 29 to 46 points a game, right? Everybody else has to be involved, right? And if Luka's going crazy like that, there's going to be theater basketball. So when I call it theater basketball, it's like they watch him a lot. And uh, this is the one thing that Jason Kidd has actually implemented this year, that the ball gets moved around so at least some other guys are getting shot. So you have Finney. Smith getting shots, you have uh, Bullock getting shots, and you have Brunson getting shots as well, too. But they have to be consistently involved in the game. Luka will get caught up in a game where it's like, I'm going to take over and try to do this. And Golden State is playing team basketball, and they have at least three guys that can shoot from distance that can make this interesting. If Dallas gets caught up watching Luka try to survive the storm and win this game by themselves, they could potentially get swept. They can get swept. But it's going to be interesting that they're home. They should be more comfortable uh, sleeping in their own beds and knowing the rim and how the ball bounces off the rim, things of that nature. But um, I feel like Golden State could go in there and kind of, like, play their game and still threaten to win this game. I, I, I feel Dallas should win game three, but if not, Golden State wins game three, I, I feel like they'll be deflated for game four. I, I, don't, I don't think there'll be too much for them to survive off of. Uh, trying to deal with Steph Curry and, and that team as championship, uh, you know, ready. They've been through these scenarios. Uh, Kerr has been a coach and a player, been through these scenarios. I, I, I think Dallas is fairly young, and they don't have any rim protection at all. They have nobody in the paint to stop anybody getting to the rim. Steph Curry's getting layups. Poole's getting layups. Uh, Porter's getting dunked. Just like you said, Kevon Looney had a, his career high 21 points. Uh, with 10 field goals and I think 14 attempts, like he, they, they were getting what they wanted in the paint. Dallas, they, it, the first thing they need to do in the off season, if they don't get out of it, they need a big that's agile enough to run with these guys. Because uh, as much as I love the name Dwight Powell, um, he's athletic to be a four. He's not a five, but they play him at the five because he's six ten and able to. I can't even say defend. He's he's able to just be in front of these guys, but. Uh, they need a five. Let him play the four. Then it'll be interesting because you got rid of Porzingis in the middle of the season, and and that that's height, that's size that you guys got rid of that you guys could be using at this point in time. So, 
I, I, I don't know. We will see how this does pan out. Mike, your thoughts on this game three uh, as Golden State enters the state of Texas? So it's interesting because I feel like <clears throat> even against Phoenix and in the first round, Dallas was able to do at times, and I think we we kept saying it. We kept saying they shot the bites up. They were able to outshoot teams, right? And they happen to be playing like the best shooting team in the league right now. Like the the team that has arguably the greatest two shooting this league's ever seen. Uh, maybe. <clears throat> so that has that has done it that shares the ball, their system is trying to work. Uh they always have a lot of assists. They make the right passes, uh, when they're playing well. <clears throat> and they and they shoot the ball well. And so um everybody thought going into the series that Golden State was the better team. <clears throat> they clearly played like it and showed it in game one. Uh, in game two, like I said earlier, Dallas showed that they can compete with them. I mean, in fact, they led most of the way. <clears throat> they hit their shots and whatever. So uh, eventually they weren't able to contain what is that Golden State offense. And so they still came up short, <clears throat> but they were able to compete with them. And now as we go into game three, the question is, can they beat them? And I think the answer is they can if Golden State doesn't play well. If Curry has an off day shooting the ball, if uh, if a few things happen, they can beat them. <clears throat> and so because of that, you, you like to think that if there's a game for Dallas to win, it's probably this one. If Golden State plays well, though, As you said, I think Luca can get his numbers and Golden State still wins the game. And I also agree with you that Golden State gets this one, Dallas may not win the game. Right. So uh, Golden State is clearly the better team. Uh Dallas has to win today for there to be considered any kind of a series and then they'll have to win, you know, obviously game four for us to really pay attention, but uh, you know, Dallas has to show up and and show out today. And I feel like when Dallas plays their best, they they just tend to shoot the ball well. They're not great defensively. They're not uh, phenomenal in other aspects. They just have to get hot and really shoot the ball well. And we've said many times this team just they, they shot us out tonight. And there aren't many nights that you're going to outshoot Golden State. Again, like I said, their strength is their shooting. Uh, if they don't shoot the ball well, they're in trouble. Golden State can do more than just shoot, but the shooting is the best in the league. Or, or uh, there probably is a team that probably shoots at a better percentage than them. But like historically, for the past uh, for the past like seven years, Golden State's been the best shooting team in the league, at least to me. While they're healthy and Clay is out there, Steph's out there, now they got Jordan Poole. And Otto Porter starting to believe in his shot because Otto Porter's a mid-range monster. But now that he's hitting three, two, it's like, it's, and this is, this is incredible that they got more than three shooters. Like the, their second unit has shooters too, so it's like the, it, this is going to be a tough task. 
for Dallas to get it done. I feel like, just like you said, this is the game that they should be able to win, being home, being in Texas. But um, if they don't, if they have one of those 35 or 40% shooting nights, I, I find it hard for them to win up against uh, Golden State with them having championship aspects on their mind. And, uh, you know, they are trying to rebuild from 2019 as of watching KD get injured and leave watching Clay get injured for two years in a row, tearing his uh, ligament in his knee and then tearing his Achilles, trying to fight his way back. They This, this is something that, like, they want to happen. Like, this isn't just like, oh, we're just playing our ball and this and the third. Like, they're trying to prove that we belong. Because I thought it was over for Golden State. I didn't think Golden State can get back here. They're here. Um, and it's incredible the way that they're able to do it at this point in time and uh, have a, a young Dallas team at that. Okay, so – so Mike, we are at the end of the show. So you, you you like you like Dallas today, correct? No, actually I don't. I think Golden State still wins today. I, I I'm gonna be wrong. Sure, when we come back on next Sunday morning, uh, I'll be wrong. But the series will be over, so it won't matter anyway. So I'm gonna say Golden State wins today. I just think they're clearly the better team, and <clears throat> I think they took Dallas's best punch in Game Two. I I don't. <clears throat> See Dallas being able to put together four quarters of uh, of basketball against that Golden State team, and so and then I think Golden State wins. Okay, um, I feel Dallas should pull this one out, um, but I'm going to go for Golden State also. I think that they should win this one, but I feel Dallas could get it. But I'm with you. I think Golden State gets it done. I need a plug, closeout, shout out, anything that you like to promote as we shut the doors here at the brunch. <clears throat> Man, so I don't know why I like. I, I think it's going to be a highly contested game and rebound, but I like the over in the Braves and Marlins today. I like that, and I was looking around at uh, at future odds too. I, if you can get six and a half <clears throat> on Jacksonville right now, going into this season, if you can get the under. I mean, if you get Jacksonville still at a six and a half win total, someone will take that and uh, I mean, just throw a little bit on it and uh, and it'll cash out later on in the year. It'll be nice something, uh, little something for you right after the New Year's to help you pay the bills because you're gonna be spending some money you didn't plan on, uh, you know, in the month of December. So uh, there you go. I, I think that's something that's good right now too. Uh, listen, man, the barber shop on Clubhouse always got things going on. Uh, come check us out. <laughs> Even if it's for a few minutes of party day, come by, check it out. We got all kinds of uh, conversations, sports updates, news, uh, conversations, uncomfortable conversations, things going on in the world, uh, things that need to be discussed. Uh, and uh, I think that uh, people come oftentimes with open hearts and minds to really listen and make sure that, uh, that they're taking in what's being said. And it's, it's an environment that, uh, I'm happy to be a part of on a, a pretty much daily basis. And uh, it, it, we're family over there, man. So come check out the community and be part of the barbershop on Clubhouse. Uh, check out the website, Sports City Chefs. we got lots of things going on. We've got Phil's baseball show on Tuesday night. The, uh, the cookout on Wednesdays, the Sunday morning uh, brunch with TP Timer saying it's always a pleasure and a privilege to be alongside. Without you, I wouldn't be here, man. Uh, respect to the other chefs, chefs too, the villain too, uh, James, Nate, Dave, all you guys, man. And uh, 
With that, man, it's Maze Label on Tony Lule, and I'll talk to you guys very soon. Lazy Lacey, I'm sorry, I gotta get my I gotta get my Creole down. I gotta get my Creole down. Um for City, you already know how this go down. We got a big game, like I said, game three going on in Dallas in a little bit. Uh, me, I can't lie, I'm worried about my blue shirts. They are down two nothing to the Hurricanes, and it hurts me watching this matchup because the Carolina Hurricanes used to be the Hartford Whalers. So my heart is involved on like both sides of all three of the sides of the storm because my family's from North Carolina, <laughs> that's Hartford. I'm a blue shirt fan. I don't know what to do. So it's like I can't even get mad when Carolina wins. I'm like, that's Hartford. So I'm I'm just all in a frenzy with the hockey situation. Baseball, the Twins are doing what they need to do. Hopefully they can hang on. They lost Chris Paddock uh, for the season. He's having Tommy John surgery while he had a good start to the season. It's like we already had Maeda out for the season with Tommy John surgery. He's not even a part of the rotation because he was out going into the season. And now we get a whole bunch of pitchers to bolster the bullpen uh, in the rotation. And it's just horrible how injuries could just plague something. So hopefully these dudes hang on and do what they need to do in the central. Great start to the situation. I could go on and on about my teams. I try my best to stay away from my teams. I try to show versatility. But you already know how this go down, Sports City. We had an excellent show. Me and Mike did it for you guys. On that note, Tell a friend to tell a friend that it's the chefs again, and if they don't know, now they know. Kaboom, Sports City Chefs is in the room, cooking up hot topics to put up on your spoon. They well in tune, blown like a flower in June. Superman vs. MF Doom, the clouds loom. So tell a friend it's the Sports City Chefs again. Pay attention, tune in, we on the set again. Sports City.